Hello and welcome to the Omaha Podcast, the show where I educate students about the current events and history of our community. In this episode, I interview Mark Gudgel, a teacher for 17 years and the co-founder of a nonprofit that focuses on training teachers in Rwanda. He has a number of goals for his campaign, including improving Omaha's infrastructure and correcting injustice in our community. Please enjoy our conversation. on your website that you aren't originally from Omaha and I was wondering what was it that drew you here to start a family with your wife sure you know I was living in Lincoln where I went to college and teaching there when I met my wife and we you know we fell in love we got married I moved briefly to London England uh, to do research on a Fulbright and then I moved back here and, and she was living in Omaha and we lived together in Omaha and we had you know, there were, there were conversations about where would be the best place to raise a family. And ultimately, it was a decision that we made together to stay here. Okay. And you taught for several years, right? At North Omaha High School, right? I'm in my seventh year at Omaha North. Yes. Yeah. And you taught at colleges for that. Uh, yes. And yes. Uh, so my first 10 years in the classroom were at Lincoln Southwest High School. And uh, during the time that I've been teaching high school, I've taught high school for 17 continuous years. Um, but I also have taught at Southeast Community College in Nebraska Wesleyan University during that time. Do you want to tell uh, the listeners about some of the classes that you taught? Yeah, sure. Um, one of the things that I'm extremely passionate about and that I'm always that I've, I've been very fortunate to have uh, classes focused on the Holocaust. Uh, at Lincoln Southwest, for 10 years, I taught literature of the Holocaust, in addition to things like American literature and composition and, and other courses. And now at, uh, at Omaha North, uh, I teach senior English. I teach honors humanities, which is a course focused on 20th century genocide. And uh, I also teach world religions. At the high school level, those are, those are my courses um, currently. And then in, at university, at, at uh, Southeast Community College, I, I taught a course on holo Holocaust literature as well as, as composition courses. And then at Nebraska Wesleyan University, I, I've taught uh, <laughs> any number of classes. I teach in the Masters of Education program, so my, my students are teachers themselves. And so I teach courses like becoming a reflective practitioner and um, uh, things of that nature. So about the humanities, I understand that it was it wasn't just um, classwork that you did. You also started a nonprofit for teachers in Rwanda. Yeah, um, I was working for the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum at that time, and uh, my friend Drew and I, who uh, loved and worked at a, a conference called the Belfer Conference for Teachers, uh, the Arthur and Rochelle Belfer Conference for Holocaust Educators specifically, we. Um, we got to thinking, man, this would this would really work in Rwanda. What we could provide to the teachers in Rwanda, who are really, in so many ways, integral to rebuilding society after the 1994 genocide. We thought this could really work, and and so we I, I co-founded the EIHR with with my friend Drew, and then I served as the executive director for uh, six or seven years until my son was born in 2015. So you've had a an. Ex an extensive career in public service and education. 
But what yes. what was the what was the event that made you decide that you should run for mayor? Yeah, you know, I, I was just having a conversation with a constituent right before this. And, and one of the things that I say frequently is I was not sitting around looking for an office to run for. You know, I, I have uh, maybe had some slight political ambitions from time to time, but it's usually because I'm noticing problems and feeling like I have, you know, the ability to bring about the solutions. And that's really what happened here in Omaha this spring. I, I had, this was not on my radar a year ago, tr quite truthfully. You know, last January, this was not on my radar. And then event after event after event occurred this this city you know has mismanaged this pandemic as badly as any major american city we were the last city to bring about a mask mandate and you can't blame that on governor ricketts that's a municipal issue you know i mean governor ricketts is terrible but that's a separate issue uh we we just we didn't address it uh the riots downtown and and the the protests you know were were dealt with horribly from start to finish we didn't support the people and their right to protest we didn't support the businesses you know it, it was heavy-handed and ugly from start to finish and, and it's never been improved upon you know and so frequently i'm looking at the issues in the city and going where is the leadership and i cannot answer that question I cannot answer that question. And so we need to replace that leadership. You know, one of the things that I often talk about, when I moved here, there were six Fortune 500 companies. There are now four. <laughs> We've lost two of the largest companies in the country in the last five years. We cannot sustain that level of failure for four more years, right? And, and it, I could go on and on. I mean, we don't have... You know, this, this city is embarrassing in the way that it approaches climate change, right? Either, either our leadership doesn't believe in it or does not care about anything that happens beyond tomorrow because we're doing nothing. Well, while our neighbors in Lincoln and Des Moines and Minneapolis and Kansas City are actively fighting climate change, we reduce recycling from, you know, once a week to once every other week. We veto the plastic bag ban. We, we do everything we can. This isn't a walkable city. This isn't a bikeable city. We do everything we can to destroy the environment. It's embarrassing and it has to change. And so all of these things just, just welled up inside me. Just one more thing, one more observation, one more thing. And I went, fine, fine. I can fix these problems. And that's why I'm running for mayor. All right. What I wanted to ask is, uh, if you were to focus on changing Omaha, it sounds like you're going to have to change more than just the mayoral office, right? So how would you go about you know, changing the entire environment of Omaha's government to create these big changes that you're looking for? You know, I, I frequently counsel my students to affect what they can affect and not to dwell on what they can't. The people are going to elect a new mayor and a city council. And whoever's on that council, I'm going to work with them when I'm that mayor. And we'll work together to make sure that my vision and their constituents uh, come into play. Their constituents are served by my vision. And, uh, you know, there, there are absolutely changes that need to be made. I intend to add cabinet-level positions. Um, 
you know, not least someone to oversee education, uh, somebody to oversee uh, climate and, and our efforts at sustainability, somebody to oversee our efforts in walkability and bikeability. And uh, so, you know, but it's going to take all of us. It's, I'm not running for president. I'm not going to have the, uh, you know, just sweeping powers of, of the highest executive office in the land. But fortunately, I know how to work with people. Thank you. Since you came to Omaha, what is, what's your favorite part of the city? <laughs> um, well, I mean, it depends entirely on what we're doing, right? I have held season tickets to the Orpheum for probably close to 15 years now. I love going to Broadway shows. Even when I lived in Lincoln, I was a season ticket holder at the Orpheum. You know, I, I lived a mile from the Lead Center and I drove to Omaha. That's how great Omaha Performing Arts is. Um, you know, I love the College World Series. I love my neighborhood. I live in a neighborhood called Field Club. And, you know, it, we've got this wonderful front porch culture where everybody sits out on their front porch. You talk to folks, you know, and and people swing by for a glass of lemonade in the summer. And, you know, we, uh, we've got a, you know, progressive dinners and, and luminary nights and carolers and just, you know, so I love that. Um, I love Omaha's restaurant scene. We have an amazing restaurant scene. You, any kind of food you want, you can find it here, you know? And I think that plays into a, another uh, strength of our city. We have an, an incredible population of immigrants and refugees uh, who bring with them an amazing, you know, wealth of, of worldviews and experiences and, and cultures, you know? And uh, that, that, frankly, could be better celebrated by the city, and that's part of my vision. Um, but I just, you know, the city is amazing in so many ways. Um, I think it just needs new leadership. Thank you. Uh, you talked about a lesson you tried to teach your students about changing what they can change. Do you think there's anything that your students have done to change you in your 17 years of teaching? <laughs> Absolutely. They have molded me in their image. Um, you know, I, I did not go into teaching knowing how amazing young people were or that they always would be, you know, the students that were seniors, my first year that I taught are now 35 years old, you know, and, and it's not like they were an amazing group and there was some drop off. Like I've just been so fortunate to be surrounded by incredible, inspiring young people year after year after year who have shown me that they can change the world, that they want to, and that they can. And honestly, it's for them that I'm running. You know, if, if it was about me, I mean, I'll, I'll just be really frank. I've got mine in this world. I have all the privilege I could possibly want. I have everything I need. This is about other people. This is about my students and the world that they deserve to live in. And uh, they've inspired me to help create that. Thank you. To switch to a more political, uh, you taught and you've studied the Holocaust. And lots yep. of people are comparing the rise of right-wing extremists to Germany in the 30s. How accurate do you think this is? You know, that's, that's a very complicated question. I'm very happy to answer it. I'm not going to beat around the bush on it, but I think that it's it's complicated because these are not the same right-wing extremists, but people are right to point out that that is what 
the National Socialist German Workers' Party was. They were extremists, uh, driven in part by race uh, and, and racist ideology. I think we see a very clear parallel to America's alt-right there, you know. Um, our our right-wingers fit that description. Um, they showed themselves willing to be violent. And I think on January the 6th, we found that here in the United States again, something I never could have conceived of happening. And I had to watch it on television and talk to my students about it. Unfortunate, I guess, that I wasn't there, but it's such a, such a horrifying thing. It's, it's haunting. Um, I'll do you one better here. I hadn't actually thought about this until now. Adolf Hitler attempts to take over the country. He fails. And he is sentenced to five years and serves less than one. And I hadn't made this parallel until now, but if you, if you stormed into the Capitol building and threatened our lawmakers and you're not in jail right now, I'm deeply concerned. I'll be deeply concerned if those people ever get out of jail. I think that we are turning a blind eye to this. And uh, I, I do think that there is, we should probably circle back to the 30s and take note of what happened, 20s and 30s in Germany. Um, you know, so I, I think it's frequently erroneous. Pe people, you know, it's called Godwin's Law, right? Like, there's this thing in politics we bring up Nazis all the time. And anytime I don't like your behavior, I'm just going to say that Hitler did the same thing. So you're like Hitler, therefore you're wrong. And I've always cautioned people against that, no matter who we're talking about. Donald Trump is not Adolf Hitler, you know? Um, I think that we, I think we're too quick to play that card, but I think we're just as quick to ignore the lessons of history and we need to be extremely careful in this instance. Now, what I wondered is what steps would you personally take as mayor to ease some of the tension that's uh, come to Omaha over the last few months? You know, I don't think the tension came to Omaha. I think it's always been here. I think from an historical standpoint, we created it. You know, there is a building in the middle of 16th Street that was built there for the purpose of preventing our black community from getting into the downtown. There is an interstate that runs north to south in this city that was intended to segregate four populations. We have a long history of racist policy in this city. It's always been here. And so when we saw things this spring, um, to a head, I suppose you could say. I don't think that should have surprised any of us. Um, I know it didn't surprise the black community from my conversations with so many people. They, they were not surprised that things boiled over. I don't think it should have surprised anybody. We need to do better. And we can do better. And we need to do it together. Um, as mayor, I think the number one thing that I can do is to be present. I've lived in this city for a very long time. Now I have never met the mayor. I will assure you if I'm elected that in, there will be nobody who can say that unless they deliberately avoid me, right? If they don't want to meet me, they won't have to, but I will be accessible to my constituents. If I can become slightly tangential for a moment, there are a lot of things to admire about Pope Francis, I believe. The thing I love the most about him is that when he was a Cardinal, he took public transportation. He could have taken a Rolls Royce anywhere he wanted to, but he was a he was a man of the people then, and he still is as Pope. 
and uh, you know, I've I've always been about the people, and I always will be. And I think that that's, you know, it, does that solve the problem? No. But I think it's a step in the right direction. Our leadership needs to be visible, needs to be vocal, and uh, needs to be involved in bringing about the solutions. And we do not have that right now. If we did, I wouldn't be running. Public transportation is a big deal, but uh, most people agree on the Democratic side that Omaha's public transportation could use some work, <laughs> right? That's a kind way to put it, yes. What, would, what steps would you take to ensure that people can get to where they need to be for a low cost, and what effect do you think that would have on our community? Absolutely. Thank, thanks for asking the question. Look, our public transportation is what it can be for what we spend on it. I don't have any complaints with Metro. Um, it, it might interest you if you don't already know this to know that actually there is Metro operates on a separate tax levy. They're not even part of the municipal budget. So the city has a municipal budget somewhere in the neighborhood of 1.2, $1.3 billion annually. The, the just north of $30 million that it costs to run our fleet of 150 buses plus Moby plus a number of other things that Metro does uh, is not even part of that tax levy. So they spend a tiny percentage of the money and it doesn't even come out of the municipal budget. So number one is funded. We could double Metro's budget and not notice what it would do to the overall coffers of the city. Um, and, and that's frankly not a bad idea. Uh, public transportation, improving public transportation is an anti-racist policy. Uh, it, it costs, you know, to say nothing of the fact that our roads are, are terrible because we don't maintain them properly. You know, it, it costs, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of $700 to $1,000 a month on a car, right? You've got a car payment, let's say that's $300, and you've got to license it and register it, put gas in it, change the brake pads and put new tires on it every now and again, and so on and so on and so forth, right? You're spending $750, $800 a month. To somebody who's making minimum wage, you know, that, that is cost prohibitive. That is affecting where they live, what food they are able to consume, what they're able to do for fun, whether or not their children can go to college. I'm not saying nobody should own a car, but I am willing to go as far as to say that nobody should have to own a car. And we can create that city. We can create a city with better public transportation, more buses and more routes um, that is more walkable and more bikeable. And uh, we, we can do better for our citizens that way. And that's a part of my vision for, for the future. And on the rest of your vision for the future, I know that you have a six point plan uh, do you want to go over the other points in your platform? Oh, I, you know, to call it a six-point plan is, <laughs> is pretty generous. Uh, there, there are a lot of things that are important to me. There are a lot of things that are extremely important to me um, in this city. And, and some of those appear in my platform. An awful lot of them appear in the policies that, that we've been rolling out, you know. So, I mean, for example, one thing you won't find – in the platform that you find on our campaign, but that, that if, you know, people who followed me know is, is a policy that we're going to implement uh, is we're going to move these, these elections. We hold municipal elections April the 6th and May the 11th, and that is, forgive me, really stupid. It costs hundreds of thousands of dollars to do that, and all it really does is serve to suppress voter turnout. 
And so it doesn't surprise me one bit that that's what we're doing, but it's going to stop. It's going to stop when I'm elected. Voter suppression <laughs> is, is a horrible thing. Um, and, and so is wasting money, especially when the city doesn't have it to spare. And so we're going to sync the elections with the primary and the general from uh, the presidential. So, you know, my, my vision for this city is, is far reaching and is not encompassed in those platform planks exclusively. You're welcome to, you know, I, I hope people will look at them. It gives them a general idea of who I am and what I believe. But there's so much more than that. And, you know, one of the things I've said to, to my team, to my staff, is what we have to do is get the vision out there. People have to understand by the time April rolls around, they need to know what they win when I win. And they will choose that vision. I know that. Yeah, the problem I see with this election, uh, just from talking to adults, is that not enough people, in my opinion, are paying attention to the mayoral race. So what would you do to, to get, get some more attention on the election so that the voter turnout can be as good as it can be? Sure, sure. You know, I think we, we currently have eight candidates in this race. It sounds like we could have a ninth here soon. And, you know, I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think we're all doing everything we can to drum up support and, and voter turnout, right? The best thing we'll be able to do is three and a half years from now when I sync these elections with the presidential. But until then, I think we're all working really hard to get people out to vote. And, um, you, you know, you're right. There is a general level of apathy. And I, I find that mind-blowing, right? Because at the end of the day, who the mayor of your city is will affect you far more than who the president is. If you're voting for president and you're not voting for mayor, you don't really understand the world you live in. And, or, or you don't care. And, and there's, a, there's definitely a, a high level of apathy um, in, in our country, which is unfortunate, but we'll change it in time, I hope. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, we're doing everything we can. And I don't mean just me. I think a lot of, a lot of the people that I'm running against, I, I try not to characterize them as opponents because, uh, you know, I think a lot of them are just terrific people and I, I enjoy their company. I like talking to them. I like listening to their ideas. Um, you know, but I think we're doing everything we can to drum up attention to this election and to help people see, hey, this, this affects you. This absolutely affects you. You know, if you don't vote for mayor and you have and city council, but you have thoughts about how much money you pay in taxes, you got to make the connection. If you think we should have better public transportation, but you don't vote for city council and mayor. OK, like, <laughs> what are you doing? You know, like be the change, man. Get out there and actually help us affect change. The question I wanted to come back to is uh, you talked about your other um, partners in the race. Uh, listening to you all speak at the Culture House Forum over Zoom, I, oh, yeah. I was struck by how similar all of your platforms sounded. So I wondered what makes you different uh, policy-wise than your opponents. <laughs> no, that's fine. You're welcome to use that word. We're running against each other. Um, I am of the opinion, and I want to be respectful. I am of the opinion that my vision for this city and my policy is better researched and more clear and more clearly laid out. That's something that, that we've emphasized from the beginning and something I pride myself on. When we write policy... We reach out to the stakeholders who are affected by that policy. I'm not going to come into this and go, hey, everybody, 
39 year old here and I have all the answers. You have been waiting for me, haven't you? You know, I, I, that's a dumb way to go about it. So we reach out to stakeholders and we say, hey, how can we fix this problem? What are your needs and how can we meet them? You know, I've spent so much time meeting with leaders from different refugee and immigrant populations, with, with leaders um, from all kinds of different walks of life. You know, I mean, I've met with people who, who, who own and operate small businesses. I've met with people who have different accessibility needs and people who have a vision for a more bikeable city. I've met with, you know, the executive director of Metro and all these other folks in our city who all have a laser focus on something that, that they're trying to improve and they've helped steer my policy. And I'm not suggesting that the people I'm running against have not had similar meetings. I would say that I think my policy is more clearly fleshed out and I think that my vision is far more wide ranging. If I have an opponent who has said, we, need to, we will be carbon neutral by 2045 and here's how, I'd love to know that. We rolled that policy out two weeks ago, um, you know, and, and so uh, I think it, it comes down to research and viability. This podcast is for high schoolers and students. And Great. I was wondering, my- you cut out there for a sec. What did you say? I said, you're my people. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was wondering, um, how could students support you and your campaign? Thank you. That, what, a, what an excellent question. And, and I'm honored that you're asking it in this context because, again, students are the reason I'm running. Young people are the people that I'm running to serve. This is not about me. And so if you're a young person who, who thinks that my vision for this city is, is what you want, if this is the future you want for this city, you know, and, and a big part of that, by the way, you know, you'll all graduate and be going to college. Go to college. Go to Harvard. Go to Stanford. Go wherever you want to go. I want this to be a home you want to come back to. That's part of this. That's a big part of this. I want you to want to come back here, not to stay in San Francisco, not to, not to stay in New York, you know? And so if that, if that resonates, there are a number of things that could be done, you know, and, and, and that young people can do. Uh, number one, you can volunteer. You know, next weekend, uh, the 6th and the 7th of February, I don't know when this is going to air, but next weekend, uh, we've got, I think now 150 volunteers signed up. And we're going to go out, you're going to, you know, people who show up will get a gudgel from air mask and a sweatshirt, some buttons and stuff. But we're going to go out, we're going to, you know, collect some signatures, we're going to knock doors, talk to people, drop literature off. And we've got several of those set up between now and, and uh, the primary election. You know, my, my estimates are we're going to drop, you know, tens of thousands of pieces of literature and, and talk to, to tens of thousands of people in this city. And if you wanted to be a part of that, you could. We'll do everything we can to be safe and socially distant with masks on, you know. But I, I totally understand also if that's not in somebody's comfort level right now. All kinds of other things you can do. You know, please follow me on social media. We have a great, we have a great social media presence, Gudgel for Mayor, um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and, you know, retweeting, reposting, sharing, things like that. You know, when we roll out policy, just making sure people know, that's huge, you know, and it, it doesn't take much time, right? You know, if, if you've got... If you've got the means, money is always such a huge part of politics. So people who want to donate, obviously, we, you know, always appreciate the help. And I'll be really honest, like, I got so excited the other day. Um, I got I got a donation for three dollars. 
and it meant so much to me. You know, I got a donation for $500 this morning, but I got a donation for $3 the other day, and I was so moved by that because you give what you can, you know, and, and that person obviously, you know, maybe doesn't have a lot of means but wants to be supportive, and it was a vote of confidence, you know, and so I, I love stuff like that. I've got a lot of former students and current students who, like, throw in 5, 10, 15, 20 bucks a month, you know, and it's just, it's meaningful because it, it just says I'm, I'm here to help, you know, but that's, you know, there's so much that can be done. Um, one thing I want to emphasize to, to young people who might be listening, there's nobody I won't talk to. You know, if, if you're like, well, I'm, I'm 17, I'm not even going to be old enough to vote. I don't care. Reach out. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to talk to you. It's your future I'm fighting for. You should have a stake in this. You should have a say in it. And so, you know, anything people want to do to help spread the word, if you wanted to get some people together and, uh, you know, have a Zoom and just chat and ask questions, I'm, I'm up for that, whatever you want. And then, of course, get everybody you know who can vote to vote for me. That would be the last thing, I think. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, if we've got eight or nine people in this race, uh, you know, the voter turnout for this one is typically pretty low. So what I'll emphasize is that your vote will count a lot. Uh, I think it wasn't very long ago in Omaha that there was a, maybe it was a county commissioner's seat. I'm not sure. There was a primary decided by three votes. And I just thought to myself, how would you feel if you were the candidate that lost by three votes? You know, and you're thinking to yourself, like, why, why was I not out knocking more doors that day or whatever? You know, um, I, I anticipate winning. I anticipate winning by a narrow margin. And your votes will matter. And the votes of the people that you know will matter. And I would be honored to earn them. Thank you. I think you've covered mostly everything. But is there one last thing you want to say? Yeah. Yeah. Especially given that the audience is high school students. Don't settle. You don't have to settle. People will tell you, oh, that's the way it's always been. Oh, well, you can't do anything about that. I think you know what finger you should aim at people who have so little respect for you, who, who, have, who, who don't believe that you can make change. You can make change. You can, you can advocate to make this world everything that you know it should be. You know, I said earlier, young people inspire me. I, I do not encounter very often young people who are not passionate about fighting racism, about equity, about other people. Young people see homelessness and they go, what the hell? Why is that a thing? And that should be all of our attitude. And, and you know, more than anything, I, I just want to say to young people, change things. You can be the change. You really can. And I've seen young people doing that for 17 years. It, it's far from over. So thank you for all you do. Thank you for all you will do, fired by you. Thank you for your interview. Yeah, I hope you have a great rest of your day and good luck with the rest of the race. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you very much, man. Have a good rest of your day. Take care, buddy. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Mark Gudgel. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes, you can reach me on Twitter at Omaha underscore podcast or email me at omahapodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.